Amen. Praise the Lord for His faithfulness. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that the God that we serve is faithful, whether we're faithful or not. And so, you know, I have a lot of times where I get through the end of the day and I look back and think, you know, I really didn't have a very good day today uh, doing the things that I should do or having the attitude that I ought to have sometimes. But whether I have a good day or a bad day, God's always faithful. And I appreciate and the comfort that we get and that comes from knowing that. Uh, this morning as we begin and uh, in our primary text in Ezekiel, or at least our, our primary verse here in verse number 44, um, it, it is a difficult passage where uh, Ezekiel is laying out here a command from God or a director from God, a rebuke, if you will, and a calling back of Jerusalem. God loves the city of Jerusalem. He loves His people. Uh, they are His chosen ones. And oftentimes He gives us analogies in the Scripture uh, of these types of things parlayed into our relationships at home. I, I do personally believe, uh, and, and you can take issue with me on this if you like, that almost every thing that God has given us, He's put in a human relationship. In other words, uh, when God instructed and instituted the family, He gave us a specific structure for family, and that structure demonstrates to us the relationships that we should have with Him. With the Trinity, uh, and we see that in multiple relationships that God has given throughout uh, throughout the Scripture. That if our homes are constructed the way that God designed them, and they are conducted faithfully to the way that God designed them, then they are a beautiful picture of what God intends or what God wants our relationship to look like with Him. He designed to put in place a picture that we could see so that as we read the Word of God, it makes sense in our heart, in our mind's eye, and it causes us to desire. I believe that to be one of the primary reasons that the nuclear family uh, is under such heavy attack and has been under such heavy attack since the Garden of Eden. Uh, you see it culturally that if you stand for what we would call in our vernacular today just traditional values of marriage and family, uh, that those things are not tolerated well by those who claim to preach tolerance in their culture. Uh, and so, but it is the, the home and the mechanism that God designed. Now, he laying here, or stating here, uh, this and drawing this comparison is, uh, is essentially rebuking his bride, if you will, in the city of Jerusalem. And he makes a statement that, Behold, everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee, saying, As is the mother, so is her daughter. Now, he uses that here in a negative context, but the positive context of that is also true. Uh, if, if To say that as a mother is, so is her daughter, is not good or bad in and of itself. It depends on how's mom. And what's the daughter been like? And we are shaped by mom. Our attitudes mostly are, uh, and, and it's not that, that dad is there, dad is leading, they're, they're, they come together, they work together, labor together. Uh, but ultimately, uh, our character and our method of being are instilled in us at a very, very early age. We don't often realize that. We were not properly taught that in our current culture. Uh, but we instill the character and the mindset, the way that a child thinks really before they can even talk, 
a lot of that is already formed in them uh, by how we teach and how we train. We see the Apostle Paul as he speaks to the young Timothy uh, that he says that uh, for God, ha- or, or excuse me, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or the unfake faith that is in thee, uh, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. He has a godly grandmother, he has a godly mother, and because of that, he is the young man who has instilled in his heart a desire, a burning desire to know and to live and to love God uh, and the Scriptures. I, I do think it an appropriate thing this morning for us to consider that the apple really doesn't fall far from the tree. We use that statement often, uh, and I use that statement in, in a positive and a negative context, depending on what I'm uh, dealing with or what issue I'm working through. Uh, and so... We want to understand uh, that what we do, my wife and I have always kind of framed it this way as a couple, uh, not dealing strictly just from the standpoint of the mother's influence, but our influence together as husband and wife, uh, that what we do in moderation, our children do in excess. And so uh, if I am, and and that works both ways as well, if I uh, am am doing some things that are displeasing to the Lord in moderation, then that usually is going to have, it's going to have a tendency uh, without God's intervention somewhere along the way to manifest itself negatively in the life of my child. Uh, on the other hand, my, uh, my heart for God, my desire for God, uh, if I live my life in a way that pleases the Lord, should inspire my children to have an even greater desire to serve the Lord in their adult life uh, and to follow Him. Uh, and so we uh, influence whether we are intentional about it or not. And so to every mom this morning, I would say you are a tremendous gift to us. But the reality is, is that in some cases, mom can be a tremendous detriment. Now, this is not going to be a hard sermon this morning. I, I, I'm, I love our moms. I'm grateful for our moms. I think uh, that we all uh, do the very best that we can. But I do want to just consider some things this morning uh, that what I do, how I live, how I think, how I train, uh, whether it's intentional or unintentional, is important. And so we're just going to look at some principles along those lines this morning. Uh, there was a bride of several months, years ago, that I got to uh, the first real big family dinner, and and it was a a, a time where that particular family traditionally had ham. That's kind of us on Easter uh, and different holidays. We tend to have different things that we have at the same time every year. Uh, And so uh, she comes together, and it's her her turn to kind of host the big family meal. Uh, And so uh, she's been married for a few months, and she gets the ham out, and uh, and she gets the pot out, and she sets the ham uh, down in it, and then she gets out. Uh, a big knife and saw and she cuts off the very end of the ham uh, and gets the the saw out and cuts through the bone and then she takes the end of it and she lays it to the side Uh, well she had a friend that had come over early and was kind of helping prepare the meal and she looked at her and she said "Uh, why are you cutting the end of the ham off is there something wrong with it and she said well, no, I said, I'm just, it's all, it's all, you know, ready to go. And uh, I, I've got it here in the pot and I've got everything set. And uh, it's just that, you know, that that's, that's the way my mom did it. And so 
the friend just says okay and uh the 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 question or the discussion kind of then as all the family comes together is why do we do this and so the young lady's mother comes in and uh and uh they go through the whole scenario again and she says why uh, why all growing up mom did you cut the end off of that ham? I really don't understand uh, why uh, we do this now that I've been questioned about it. Uh, and her mom said, well, that, that's the way your grandma did it. And so grandma gets there and comes in and, uh, and they begin to question and some other family comes and they, uh, remember and, uh, and they go through the whole thing again and, uh, and the older lady there began to kind of chuckle and her shoulders begin to heave and she said, well, uh, the reason that your grandma cut the end of the ham off is because she never owned a big enough pan for it to fit in. Uh, and so often we, influence future generations without ever even realizing uh, the little things that we do that make such a big impact in the lives of our children and grandchildren. John, or in, in the, his little gospel or little epistle of 3 John in verse number 4 said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Uh, and then, so we consider this morning that if a mother uh, would, uh, would enjoy in her old age great peace, Enjoy that comes best whenever we know and can rest that our children uh, walk in truth. Realize this morning's mom that that little hand that you hold, uh, whether it be of a young son or young daughter, comes and thrusts their small hand into yours, that it may be smeared with ice cream. Uh, it may uh, be grimy from petting a dog, and there might be a wart under the right thumb or a bandage around a little finger. But the important thing about hands is that they are the hands of the future. They are the, these are the hands that might someday hold a Bible or a Colt revolver. Play the church piano or spin a gambling wheel. Gently dress a leper's wounds or tremble wretchedly uncontrollably, uncontrolled by an alcoholic or drug-addicted mind. Right now, that hand is in yours. It asks for help and guidance. It represents a full-fledged personality in miniature. To be respected as a separate individual whose day-to-day -day growth into Christian adulthood is your responsibility. And while our moms are a tremendous gift, moms, the fact remains that you have been entrusted with a tremendous gift yourself. And I'm not laying all of that responsibility on moms. Moms and dads share that responsibility together. But, uh, but we are dealing primarily with mothers here. And, uh, and it has been said that there are many great men that are recorded throughout history uh, many of those men had infidels for fathers, but very few of those men did not have a godly mother. The influence of a mom can never be overstated or underestimated. In the scripture, we see a young woman named Hannah praying that God would give her a son. And when God answered that prayer, though that mother had to make tremendous sacrifice, Israel gained its greatest judge. We see that Hannah's faith and godliness lived on in Samuel. We see Elizabeth in the New Testament praying and John the Baptist being the answer to the prayer who was then called the greatest born among women. In the midst of all of the sensuous pleasures of Egypt and its royal court and its education, Moses could never forget what he received as a child from his mother when she was called to nurse him. You will find that Moses that was shaped by uh, that was shaped so shaped by her that all the wealth and power and learning of Egypt could not remold him. He is and was a great and humble man. 
and perhaps one of Israel, or perhaps Israel's greatest leader until the Lord returns. Women of great faith like Sarah rear sons like Isaac. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. She famously carved out her schedule to allow an hour for every one of those children individually, one-on-one, every week, to teach them to read, to teach them to Bible, and to pray for them. And of those 19 children, two were known as giants in the Christian history, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. It's been stated that the Methodist Church began at Susanna Wesley's knee when she rocked Charles in a cradle and held John on her lap while she patiently taught him to read, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. She made this statement. She said, Had I twenty sons, I should rejoice that they are so well employed, though I should never see them again. As she said goodbye to them as they left England to the new world to be missionaries to the Native Americans here. Mary Washington was left a widow with five children to educate and direct when little George Washington was only 11 years old. A French general, upon leaving the presence of Mary Washington, paid her this beautiful compliment. It is not surprising that America should produce such great men, since she can produce great mothers. Andrew Jackson, the military hero and seventh president of our United States, wrote, The memory of my mother and her teachings were the only capital I had to start life with, and on that capital I have made my way. John Quincy Adams said, All that I am, my mother made me. Napoleon Bonaparte said, Let France have good mothers, and she will have good sons. John Randolph, a U.S. political leader that lived in the late 17, early 1800s said, When I try to make myself an infidel, I feel the hand of mother on my head and hear her prayers for my soul, and I start back from all infidelity. Abraham Lincoln, the highest example of moral conviction in a man of American heritage was our most noted president, Honest Abe. Mother, His mother was a godly Christian who every Sunday said Abe on her knee and read to him the word of God. Her special concentration for her son was the knowledge of the Ten Commandments. This godly mother once said, I would rather A be able to read the Bible than to own a farm if he could have but one. Nancy Lincoln died in 1818 when Abe was only nine years of age. But the law of God had been so inscribed in his heart that it molded his character throughout the darkest days of our nation's history. Her last words were, Abe, I'm going to leave you now. And I shall not return. I want you to be kind to your father and live as I have taught you. Love your heavenly father and keep his commandments. Abraham Lincoln, when asked later in life why he was so honest, said that he could still clearly hear the tones of his mother's voice as she spoke to him from Exodus 20. And read of the Lord God who gave his commandments. Lincoln declared all that I am or I hope to be. I owe to my angel mother. Henry Ward Beecher, great congregationalist minister of the 1800s, said the memory of my, sta- of, of my sainted mother is the brightest recollection of my early years. Ulysses S. Grant, commander of the Federal Army during the late years of the Civil War and 18th President of the United States, 
to the pastor who was to preach his mother's funeral, said this, Make no reference to me. She gained nothing by any position I have filled or honors that may have been paid me. I owe all this, all I am, to her honest, modest, and sincere piety. James Garfield. His mother left to fight the battle of life alone, was left to fight the battle of life alone when little James was but two years of age. A lifelong intimacy and tenderness existed between the two. And on the day of his inauguration as president, the first thing that he did after the oath of office was administered, was to turn to his mother and kiss her, saying, Mother, you have brought me to this. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, paid an affectionate tribute to his mother at her funeral. As he stood by her casket holding the old family Bible, he said, It is not the custom, perhaps, for a son to take part on such an occasion. But if I can control myself, I would like to say a few words. It is a great honor to be the son of such a mother. I could not praise her enough. In one sense, she was wiser than Solomon, for she knew how to bring up her children. Then he said, all that I have ever accomplished in life, I owe to my mother. History's great men were not made by great fathers. They were made by great mothers. Women who understand and had a deep love for God. There's an old Spanish proverb that says that an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. There's so much more that can be accomplished by the godly influence of grandmothers and mothers. And often in a person's life, it is the most powerful and lasting influence that they'll ever experience. There are many great men through history as I've stated, it had infidels for fathers, but very few that did not have great Christian mothers. Three thoughts along these principles this morning, along this thought. I would say this morning that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the humanity's greatest love is the love of a mother. No one loves like mom. Even in many cases, and I understand, and, and we see it more and more in these later days where uh, where there are always individuals that do horrible things. Um, not every mother is a good mother, but I think that overwhelmingly that most ladies try to do the very best that they can with what they have and what they know to instill good character and to give an opportunity for a good productive life to their children. We have a great responsibility as Christian mothers and a great opportunity to shape the world for Christ. You see, it won't be too many more years in the future when I'll be under a headstone somewhere. I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope it's not real soon, like in the next uh, 10 or 12 years or so as I'm still in my early 50s, but the reality is is that I have less life in front of me in all likelihood than I have behind me. And there's another generation that will come up that has to come up, that has to be taught, that has to be trained 
to fill in the gap, to stand in that gap, to uh, to lead people to Christ, to uh, keep alive the teachings and the, uh, of the, what God has instilled in us. And we all have to understand that uh, it is our responsibility and mom's your responsibility to take uh, that young child especially and to instill in them uh, for a great heart for God. Now, I would say that, that no place is God's love demonstrated more in our early lives than it is in a mother's love for her child. A mother takes that brand new infant and cares for that child, whether it cries or whether it sleeps, whether it's sick or whether it's well. Not every dad fulfills his responsibility in those areas, but moms do. Not every dad will will. Uh, do his duty as far as helping feed or clean or uh, or uh, change a diaper or doing those types of things. Uh, not every dad will do the things that he ought to do, but whether dad does or not, mom is there. You go into a hospital room of a sick child, you'll never see greater love on display than that mother hovering over her child, than that Christian mother hovering over a child in prayer. Love does for that child what is best, not what's convenient. There are times when we have to realize that uh, giving a child, and I think that we're losing the common sense of this much in our culture today, uh, where we have come to fall under the deceitful lie of Satan that just giving a child uh, what they want or allowing them to have their way is loving them. It is not loving them, it is destroying them. Loving a child is doing what's best for that child, whether they like it or not. I remember, I remember when when Jason was just a baby, probably about six months old or so. Uh, he got sick, and we got scared. He couldn't tell us what was wrong, and the doctors couldn't tell us what was wrong, and so we ended up in the hospital. I remember going into the hospital, and they had to try to start an IV, and they had to basically pin him down. They tried 10 times before they finally got it going. When they finally got it going, I can't remember if it was in his foot or in his head. Ultimately, they never found out what the problem was. He's still sitting here, so obviously he turned out okay. Uh, but, uh, but when they tend to get in that scenario, it's just, uh, well, it's just a, it must just be a virus. We don't have an answer. Um, but those were, those were stressful days. When Elena was born about, just a few weeks after she was born, Sonia was uh, was cleaning her and changing her, and she found a little knot just right around her collarbone, just above her collarbone and her neck. And so for about two weeks, we kind of were really concerned that it was a cancerous tumor. It ended up just being a, a non-malignant cyst that had to be surgically removed when she was just real little. Uh, but during that time, you wouldn't find... And in times like that with every family, that mother's love is on full display. You know, it, it was not an easy thing to say, yes, do surgery. Yes, uh, put an IV in my infant child. It was not an easy thing to consent to allowing those things to do when it obviously caused pain and, and discomfort that was not even understood. I mean, it's cruel enough to inflict pain on someone, but to inflict a pain that they don't understand. It had no capacity to understand at that point. But it was what was best. 
It was what needed to be done. And a mother's love is on full display. When mom brings what is needed more than she brings what is wanted. Now, I'm not saying this morning that it's wrong for us to bring to our children things that they would like or that they would uh, enjoy. And I've always loved it whenever uh, whenever I was young and uh, mom would go to the kitchen and make up the, the favorite pie or the favorite uh, cake or, or cook the favorite meal or do those types of things. And that's all wonderful. But there are times when we have to just do what's right if we truly love. And God in His rebuke of Jerusalem is not doing for them what his heart longs to do for them or to them, but he's doing what's necessary for them. He's doing what's necessary to bring them back to a place of spiritual health. He's doing what's necessary to bring them back to a place of, uh, of close, intimate fellowship with him. Uh, and a mom has to stand and, uh, and dad as well, uh, but displaying that love of doing what's best, not what's convenient. And so many times in this day and age in particular, it's just so much more convenient to let someone else train our children or to let the television train our children or to let some other thing train our children rather than doing the hard work of training and instructing our children. Love does what's best, not what's convenient. Not only that, but love is selfless, not selfish. True, genuine love is selfless. And we see all of these things, and we don't have time to uh, do a lot of turning this morning, but you see this exemplified in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see this on display all through the mothers that we've mentioned from the Old Testament. We see how they did uh, what was necessary and they were selfless. Consider Hannah as she asked God for that son. And if you'll give me that son, I'll give him back to you in service and took him probably at the age of seven or eight and somewhere in that time frame and took him there and left him with a corrupt high priest and two very corrupt priestly sons. Uh, and yet he turned out to be tremendous because of what she instilled because she was faithful to God and because she did what was necessary and best for her son according to the plan of God at that time. A selfish mom would have just said, no, I'm going to keep him, God. You can't have him. A selfish Susanna Wesley would have stood not on the dock waving goodbye to her son saying, uh, I wish that all of my sons would go and do as you, even if it means I'll never see you again. She willingly would say goodbye, that they would do the will of God for their life. Love is selfless. It's not selfish. Lois and Eunice that are mentioned in 1 Timothy, the grandmother and the mother of the young pastor, they're here at a time when there's great persecution. When churches are being established, yes, but, uh, but there's much persecution that's going on in the world, and yet they instilled in this young man a heart for God, they selflessly risked their own political safety to teach Him truth. Love sacrifices this morning. No one sacrifices like Mom. I can't tell you how many times, and I, I tried to be, I, I tried to be a thoughtful husband <clears throat> and father. <laughs> but there were a lot of times when my wife knew my work schedule, and my work schedule was extremely heavy, where she would 
be the one, even if I wanted to get up in the middle of the night, she would get up and take care of things in the middle of the night. There were times whenever I did, but, but she just willingly and happily sacrificed her sleep or her comfort. If there were times growing up when the children were older and, uh, and we were pastoring in another state and uh, for long periods of time not n- know whether there was going to be uh, a, a salary at the end of the week or two weeks. And uh, we lived that way for almost 10 years and just sometimes things were well good and sometimes things were lean. And, uh, and there were a lot of times that we just didn't know uh, and always uh, Sonia would step up and be the one to say, you know, I don't have to have that. I don't have to have a new dress for Easter. I don't have to have these shoes. I don't have to have uh, this thing. I can go without that. I can do without that. And you know, every mother is that way. Because mothers love. And mothers have the ability to make people feel comfort. And the mother, in my mind, is essentially the Holy Spirit of the home. The mother sets the atmosphere of the home, the tone of the home. It's mom that brings comfort. It's mom that oftentimes gives that little nudge back in the right direction. When uh, dad tends to come in and drop the hammer with a heavy hand, mom comes in uh, with a quiet word and a gentle push to get us stirred back in the right direction. That's what moms do. The greatest love that we experience in this life, apart from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the love of our moms. I could tell you story after story this morning of moms who sacrificed even their life to give life to their child. When they easily could have just terminated a pregnancy in the climate in which we live. But they sacrificed. Love sacrifices this morning. Secondly, consider that humanity's greatest influence is a mother's influence. And moms, I would say this, and this is probably about as strong as I want to get this morning uh, in this realm. But every mom needs to understand that you shape the future of a nation. And you are influencing younger generations for good or for bad, for evil or for holiness. We are influencing those that come into our sphere of influence. And I would say, moms, you have tremendous responsibility. Not just to clothe and to feed and to put a roof over a head, but to train children that have a heart and a desire to serve God. That's why God has entrusted those children to us. That's, you know, we have four children and they are not ours. They have never been viewed as ours, though we call them ours. They've always in our mind and our heart been the Lord's. If the Lord lets them be close or the Lord calls them far away, that's his business. But we did not train them to keep them close by. We trained them to serve God where he calls them to be. The influence of family for the world or influence of the family for the cause of Christ lies largely upon the shoulders of mom. There was a newsboy. He was very uneducated and having a hard time, and he lost his mother. And he was determined to somehow come up with the money to uh, erect a tombstone for her at her grave. It was unmarked and... He had little education. He was very young, and he couldn't spell. Uh, It said, my mother, she, S-H-E-E, died last week, 
She, misspelled again, was all I had. She said, S-E-D, she'd, S-H-E-A-D, B-B-E-E, like a bumblebee, waiting for, F-U-R, and it ended there. It ended there because the boy, in the process of trying to raise money to finish it, was struck and killed. The man who had sold him the stone was so moved by the young man's love that he took and put up the stone as the young man had finished it and he erected his own stone on the little boy's grave. And the epitaph simply said, he loved his mother. Moms, we love because you loved us. By the way, we love God because God first loved us. The beautiful picture of God's unconditional love to humanity is a mother's unconditional love to her child. God puts it on display. God loves each one of us. God comes to us, and uh, and God, uh, in in His uh, wonderful love for us, allows us to make a difference in the lives of those that He puts in our care. God pity the mother with such influence as this if she leads in the wrong direction. Ladies, lead your home and your children in the right direction. That means if you're not a single parent home, employ the biblical structure of family and the roles that the Bible gives us. Everything needs a head. And don't buy into all of the philosophy of the world. Just trust God. God put his structure in place. He is our savior. He is our leader. The husband and dad is the head of the home. The mom is the heartbeat and the spirit of the home. And the children are to be trained up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And there is no greater influencer in our lives than a godly mother. Lastly, consider that humanity's greatest opportunity is a mother's opportunity. Moms, no one has an opportunity like you do. No one today has the opportunity to shape the future of the church of the living God and of a nation like the moms of our country. Regardless of your circumstances, you have an opportunity to raise your children for the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you are alone or if you have great support. Because training our children and instilling in them a love for God has nothing to do with the physical resources that we have. It has everything to do with the spiritual resources that we have. Oh, there's been many a powerful preacher. There's been many a great political leader throughout history who has raised up from a heap of nothing from a place where all of humanity would look and say, that young child will amount to nothing in this life, only to rise to great prominence and to be used providentially by God because a mom wouldn't give up, because a mom wouldn't succumb to poverty, wouldn't succumb 
to being abused, wouldn't succumb to being locked aside from productivity by everything that the world would say would make one successful. Whether she had clothes, a good home, the right kind of meal to eat or not, she simply loved the Lord and instilled a heart in her children to love God. By the way, this is how you do that. If you're in a bad spot, don't complain about it in front of your children. They'll grow up and just think that whatever difficulty in your life is what's normal for everybody. You know, I don't, I don't know too many people that came through the Depression and the, that era right after that when things were really tough that grew up eating beans and potatoes and cornbread for about every meal complaining about it in their old age, they generally like going back to it. They generally, it's their comfort, it's their satisfaction. And if you ask them, they'll look back and say, yeah, those years were hard, those years were tough. I don't know how mom and dad did it. But they did it. You know, moms and dads back in those days didn't whine about having to eat beans and potatoes every day. They praised God that they had them to eat. Occasionally I go to Nicaragua and teach and I, I enjoy it, but one of the things that I don't enjoy is the black beans and rice three meals a day. <laughs> I like rice and beans. I've been married to a Spanish woman for over 30 years and I can put, I can put away some good rice and beans now, uh, but the black beans, I'm not real crazy about those and I especially don't like them for breakfast with eggs and cream cheese mixed in them. <laughs> and I complain about it. But you go find some old guy from up in the mountains of Nicaragua and you take him with you to Cracker Barrel or Texas Roadhouse or some place like that after church this morning and they're going to complain that they don't have black beans and rice. We complain because we conditioned, we've been sometimes conditioned that way. Don't condition your children and grandchildren to have a complaining spirit, just teach them to be grateful. Pastor, how do I do that? Well, you can't complain about everything and then say, don't do what I do. Just be grateful. If you go home this afternoon and rake your Sunday school teacher or the pastor over the coals, then don't expect for your children or your grandchildren to grow up and have any respect or want anything to do with the house of God or God's man. If you have problems with different people in your life or your job, if you come home and all you do is complain about your job all day, all night when you get home, why would your children want to work? I don't want to do that. There was a time when we just thanked God for what we had. Those are good days. Those are great opportunities. And what I'm saying this morning is, Mom, you've got a wonderful opportunity. You have an opportunity to undo every bad thing that's out there in the heart of your child and grandchild. There's a lot working against us in this day and age. But God's working with us. God's given us the mechanism to produce children, grandchildren, families that love God and are used by God. And the greatest tool, the greatest gift 
apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word that we have to be successful. We call mom. Mom, rise to the expectation that God has for what he's put in you to give and let him bless you. And when he does, it'll make a difference in everyone around you's life. I'm grateful that for all of the struggles that my mom found her way back to the Lord whenever I, before it was too late for me. Before I was so old that I didn't want anything to do with it. I'm glad that God intervened in my life and my wife's life at a time that our children were still, the boys were still young enough to not be scarred by our being away from God and not living for the Lord. I'm glad God protected us so that we could have an opportunity to influence them to serve the Lord. Listen, it doesn't matter about circumstances. It doesn't matter about the bank account. It doesn't even matter a whole lot what's in the cupboard. What matters is, Mom, do you love God? Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you live in a way that pleases and honors Him? Do you invest in your children, not just in putting a roof on their head and clothes on their back, but do you, have you, do you, have you, and are you teaching and training them to have a heart for God? Because by the time they get old enough to be ruined or salvaged, you've already put the building blocks in place that are going to guide them. It's your opportunity. It's your responsibility you show us like no other what love is. You show us like no other what influence can accomplish. You show us like no other what opportunities are available if we'll accept them. May I say to you this morning that I can look at my own life and I can think, you know, hey, I did pretty good. Or I can look at the life of my uh, my wife, my uh, my mom or different ones and I can say you know they did a great job or they did this or they did that but the truth of the matter is is that when it's all said and done the apple doesn't fall far from the tree are there exceptions to that of course are there times when one would just rebel and turn away from God sure there are but by and large our children are what they are because it's what we taught them to be. Teach them well. Love them well. And remember that there is a great God in heaven who is counting on you, Mom, to put in the heart of that child a love for him. Heavenly Father, as we close this morning, I pray that you would bless our time together. Lord, I thank you for our mothers. Thank you for their influence and guidance in our life. What a blessing children are. Lord, what a blessing family is. And Lord, may we understand that apart from our relationship with you, the greatest relationships that we have are our familial relationships. May we cherish them. May we invest in them. May we not take them for granted. Lord, may we invest in our families the way that you've invested in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We just stand together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.